Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one wise page of Talmud every day. And in today's pages, Yevamot 20 and 21, we receive the sort of teaching that I really think we need to slow down and heed. Get a load of this. The Mishnah states that the prohibition resulting from a mitzvah is referring to secondary forbidden relationships, which are prohibited by rabbinic law. The Gemara asks, why is this called a prohibition resulting from a mitzvah? Abayah said, this is because it is a mitzvah to listen to and obey the words of the sages. What a beautiful sentiment. Obeying and listening to those who are wise, those who are smart, those who are thoughtful, isn't just you know kind of a good thing to do, good common sense, good business, but rather a mitzvah, a righteous, holy commandment. And so, because we are now uh, on week two of The Tent, this great big platform bringing together people of the Hindu, Muslim, Christian, and Jewish faith to share wisdom, ask questions, think about it as an Uber for God, finding the sort of spiritual driver that will take you to your destination, whatever it is, you could check it out and welcome to thetent.com. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to this show someone who is participating in the tent project, one of the tent's flagpoles, if you will, uh, one of my absolute favorite podcasters, writers, thinkers, spiritual leaders. Here she is, straight out of Houston, the Reverend Sarah Condon. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hey, Leo. Thank you so much for having me. So let me start off, uh, because I know you talked about this a little bit, uh, by asking kind of a question that is, I've always thought was kind of really weird. You know, we, we learned in today's page of Talmud about this notion of obeying the sages. And yet, you know, none of us are born with a sort of a halo or a long beard or a cloak. Uh, does there come a point in which you see people seeing you and realize, oh my, they're listening to me. <laughs> they're obeying the words of the sages. I am the sage. Well, I mean, I think there comes a point when I meet people and they seem excited and I say, prepare to be very mm. disappointed. I think, that's, I think that's probably the point I'm at right now. <laughs> it's so sweet for you to have me on in this category. It's not one I think of myself in at all as I sit here with a pile of laundry in front of me and emails to answer. Laundry will never be subdued, no matter how much wisdom we bring into her. <laughs> so b before I ask you some uh, particular questions about the sagacity, Kindly share a little bit about your journey to faith, to wisdom. You shared with us in a previous conversation on the tent this very moving story about growing up with your grandmother who every night simply knelt down and prayed, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think I was raised by storytellers in a lot of ways and really faithful storytellers. So I think that's been a huge part of, of what's landed me where I am. Um, I'm an Episcopal priest. I grew up in the Episcopal church and, you know, I'm clearly very Southern, <laughs> but my father was a writer. My mother was a photographer and they were always people that sort of um, well, they always took us to church, but they always had an eye to, to what was on the margins and wanted to ask interesting questions. So, yeah, I think that's had a huge influence on on who I am as a person of faith and as, as somebody who's ordained. I love the way you put it of, of learning from stories, which is which is something that I personally, you know, kind of connect uh, to very, very strongly. But, you know, there's there's an interesting thing if, if you 
read carefully the words in today's Talmud teaching, which, you know, one, one should always do because it's a Talmud. It involves reading every single word and parsing its meaning. It tells us that it is a commandment to obey the words of the sages, which suggests that obeying or even listening to the words of the sages doesn't come naturally, doesn't come easily. And so when we think about these stories, um, how is it that we could become better listeners? I mean, how could we train ourselves when, when presented with all this wisdom that is around us, sometimes coming from a member of the clergy, but sometimes from you know unexpected sources? How could we train ourselves to be better listeners and, and find this wisdom wherever it seeks us? You know, the thing that keeps occurring to me that I, I do think is important to say is one of the things that shaped me most is I got my undergrad degree at the University of Mississippi um, in Southern Studies. And I remember being struck by how much sin and redemption kind of swam alongside each other in studying the stories of the South and how sages came in these really unexpected forms. And it was just such a gift to me to to learn to listen and to not discount the people that were discounted. Sometimes even listening to the people that other people aren't listening to is, I think, a great way to to maybe hear things we might otherwise miss. I mean, when I hear you say this, I, I, I'm, I'm nodding along, uh, you know, appreciatingly, but it also occurs to me that part of the challenge here is basically the fact that we live in this thoroughly de-enchanted world, right? I heard you on a previous uh, conversation on the tent saying this, I think, very beautiful and profound thing that every time we use Google, we're really a little bit praying, right? We ask Google, why am I so sad? Google, how how could I lose weight? Which I thought was, was an, an amazing, amazing kind of profound insight into the fact that even though we think we're no longer grappling with our spiritual yearnings behind our back, they're grappling and wrestling with us. So any tips on re-enchanting the world? I mean, because it seems to me that walking into a room and, and knowing who to listen to and how to listen to uh, the right people and how to perceive these bits of wisdom requires letting go of, of so much of our jadedness, right? So much of our hurt, so much of our cynicism. Where do we begin? Oh my gosh. I feel like this is like the cheesiest advice. Well, it's the cheesiest question. So <laughs> we fit I right think, in. I mean, I think hanging out with the the very young and the very old among us is has been uh, crucial for me in magic being in back in my life. And, you know, I remember, and I, you know, I talked about this, and of course, I, I can't, it's just in everything, Liel, but, you know, both my parents were killed in a car accident. We're coming up on the year and a half anniversary um, in May. And I remember saying to my husband, like, I feel as though my light has gone out and will never come back on. And it has been in being around my children. It has been in being around, like, you know, the 90-year-old great uncle I have in rural Louisiana. That has that has reminded me that life is still really magical and interesting and hopeful. So, yeah, I don't know. It's funny how we credit the people in our lives the most who are, like, moving as fast as we are, right? And thinking the same things we're thinking and having the same beliefs we're having. But it's these people at either end of the spectrum that they they have a little bit more trust in the enchantment of life. And the Google thing, I mean, I just think everyone is praying all the time and we don't know it. I totally think that. 
but you know, there's a lot of research around children's spirituality, right? Like we, I'm sure you face this in your own circles, like the, like people, especially like, oh my gosh, like mom's Christian, dad's Jewish. And it's like, we're just going to let them pick, you know? And it's like, they have a spirituality already built in and like, you know, they may want some guidance on that. And you may want to listen to what they're saying. Like we, we actually don't, I, I just don't believe that godless children exist. I don't know. I just, I, I think, I'm not sure I believe godless elderly people exist. God, godless creations is as far as we're, you know, yeah. <laughs> what we're at. Yeah. I mean, I just, it's, it's a, but I think that they are more willing to go there, right? We'll leave things off just with this. Since I agree so wholeheartedly and since I too am often, you know, I have a lot of dear friends who come from two different faith traditions or even from the same faith tradition, but not feeling really committed to it and often say exactly what you just said. Oh, and the kids are old enough. They'll just sort it out. And I said, no, you have to, I, I don't care. You know, they could turn out Catholic or Episcopalian or Jewish or Muslim or whatever. Just give them the teaching. So as the sage on display at the moment, tell us any thoughts on how we could, I mean, beyond the sort of traditional instruction what do, what do we do? What are some good kind of like moral training exercises for, for young humans? Well, first of all, I just have to say, and I said this to you, I have to say my mother, um, what is that beautiful phrase y'all use? May her memory be a blessing. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. My mother, may her memory be a blessing. You know, we went to church every Sunday, but we weren't, <laughs> we weren't like the Baptist down the road. They didn't talk about Jesus all the time. I'm not sure there was a Bible in our house, you know? And I remember saying to her one time, like, well, it just feels like you don't, like, you're not all in the way all these people around us in Mississippi are all in. Why do we go to church every Sunday? And she said, well, we go to church every Sunday, so you have something to fall back on when your life gets hard. And... Then she and daddy up and died on me. And my life is very hard now. And I'm so thankful for faith. And so, you know, when I hear parents say that, that is actually the first thing that comes to mind is like, they need a study. I don't care what it is. They need a study because life is incredibly hard. And it's a gift to them to have a place of solace to return to. I, I feel this so innately. You know, I, we're now at the age where I sadly have friends whose parents are, you know, beginning to fade. And I often look at them and I think to myself, if I didn't have faith, I have absolutely no idea what I would do when my parents inevitably reach this moment. Because when they do, I, there's a very clear script of what happens. I don't even have to think. I just do the phases of mourning that are prescribed to me. Like it's it's a it's a such an incredible relief. Not even to mention the sort of spiritual aspect of it that comes later of finding solace and knowing that they're, you know, in, in the world to come, etc. But just even just the day, daily practice. Reverend Sarah Condon, as always, uh, you have graced us with, with your warmth and your wisdom, for which we're Aww. very grateful. You're very sweet. Thank you for having me here. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Studios. If you enjoy this show, and I hope you do, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafyomi. I'm your host, Leah Leibowitz, and our producers are Daron Ruskay, Josh Cross, Robert Scarmuccia, Sarah Fredman Ader, and Quinn Waller. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter 
at Take One Daf Yomi, or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.